0: Go in your Bibles to First Chronicles 19, that's where we are going to be momentarily, and as I was listening, we didn't i talk about the songs he was going to choose when they brought their team here tonight or anything, but when he got that second one, as I was listening to that second verse, I thought, man, how, how cool is that? Duane says that all the time. We didn't talk, but somehow it all worked out, and you'll see why in just just a moment. I'm going to make a couple of assumptions on a night like this that most, if not all of us... Know the Lord. Uh, I know many of you, and I know some of your testimonies. Uh, we are going to get to that in just a little while, but we're going to assume that. We're also going to assume that tonight at the Brotherhood we are talking to the men in the room. It's applicable to everyone, but we're talking specifically to men. And my son will be in here in just a few minutes, and I can think of so many young men I wish I could say these things to, and perhaps I'll get a chance. Um, read a book a while back, and my son is. Read it, and I think he's going to read it again this summer called Do Hard Things. It's written by two twin brothers, Alex and Brent Harris, two remarkable teenage boys who have accomplished some amazing things. And uh, the, the idea is just that that people rise to the expectations of them, and many times of teenagers, we don't expect enough. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. What I was thinking of as I was reading this text and this verse jumped out at me was not whether or not to try to do hard things. We're all called to do things that are difficult at one time or another. If you haven't been, you have been. And if you haven't been in the past, you will be in the future. So the question sometimes is, how do you do those things? Is there some way, is there some principle that is is applicable to whenever you come to a situation, a decision, a step of obedience, that's difficult. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But thinking about... Um, manly things. If that makes any sense, you know, I got to thinking, what what is it about that scene in in the movie? That gets us, guys. And you know the scene I'm talking about. The one, it's, it's, it's in your favorite movie, your favorite book. You know, it's that scene kind of like maybe where the, where the commander or the leader or the unlikely hero stands up and, and rallies the troops and calls his brothers to stand with him against insurmountable odds and in the name of right and freedom. You, the moment when, when honor seems to swell up from within men in the face of death. You know the moment that I'm talking about. Every man. Why are we attracted to that? Because I, John Eldridge said in his book, Wild at Heart, every man needs a battle to fight. And I think that's true. We rally to a worthy cause, to a battle worth fighting. It's a, it's a secret, maybe long since childhood hidden longing and desire for nobility and courage and honor and glory. You're not sure you agree with me? Why, why do men often say that they go or have gone to war? I would venture to say that I have heard and I venture to say many in this room who have gone and say because it was the right thing to do. And those of us who don't go to war, if we're any kind of real men, we have in, in, in a, 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 immense respect for those that do. We watch movies, we read books, we we tell stories of valor and of bravery. How many of men that you know would put movies like Braveheart in their in their or or what's the one you like doing Saving Private Ryan in in their top five movie list? When we were children, men we sat mesmerized by ghost stories filled with danger, superheroes filled with battles of epic proportions. We played cowboys, we played army, we played cops and robbers where the good guy wins. Right? We're drawn to the fight. As we get older, those notions of nobility and honor get twisted by expectations, by, by, by hormones, by pressures to succeed, by pressures to score the touchdown, to be popular, to get the girl, and so on and so on. And sometimes that progresses into a life that just dries up into mediocrity, into any significant view, to a demonstration or opportunity to show courage since we think that In our mediocre, mundane, everyday life, there's nothing left to fight for. My brothers, there is still a fight worth fighting. And if you follow Christ and you have breath in your body, every day you smell the bloody air of war with your enemy, Satan and your flesh, every day. Every day. As for your enemy, Satan... It said it in the song, Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God in order to fight Him well. And the language there in that passage is very graphic, very clear. As for our flesh, Colossians 3 tells us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, because on account of these the wrath of God is coming. Perhaps the flesh is the one enemy that no matter how many times we put it to death, it just won't die until we're with Him in glory. But no matter on which battlefield or in what mode of warfare you are, you are indeed engaged. And we have to come to grips with that. The difficult thing you face can take many forms. It can be all kinds of things. It could be whether or not to give in to a temptation. You shouldn't, by the way. It might be how you're leading or not leading your family. It might be whether or not to get up and go to your job tomorrow. Is it worth it just to keep going? It's not a matter of whether or not you will fight. It's a matter of whether or not you fight on the right side, and whether or not you fight well. First Chronicles 19, we see a story of battle and courage once again. And what had happened here in the first uh, first nine verses? is the Ammonites were coming to war with Israel, and they hired Syrian mercenaries to come with them, numbering 32,000 chariots. That's chariots, not including the attenders and the foot soldiers that came with them. That's the mercenary force. The Ammonite force was much bigger. And in verse 10 it says, When Joab, Joab was the commander of the armies of David, when Joab saw that the battle was set against him both in the front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in charge of Abishai, his brother, and they were arrayed against the Ammonites. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will help you. Be strong. Let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near before the Syrians for battle, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, likewise they fled before Abishai, Joab's brother, and entered the city. Then Joab came to Jerusalem. In this story, we, we see Joab and his brother Abishai and the armies are faced with two very powerful enemies, as we've said. They are, of course, in this story, literal, literal armies with literal weapons that pose a very literal, real threat to life and limb. And Joab is surrounded and he's outnumbered. He's a well-seasoned soldier, but he's not stupid. He knows this is trouble. What does he do? How does he handle this moment? He's managed to get his brother tangled up in this mess with him. Now, what does he say to his brother? What does he say to his men? And what can we find here to help us when we are faced with the battle? We are faced with the hard thing to do, whatever that is. Three simple steps. Be strong. Take action. Trust God. Be strong, take action, trust God. We're going to move through these three points one at a time. Be strong. Now, as I said a moment ago, Joab is a well-seasoned soldier. He knows how to handle this situation. In verse 10 10 right there, immediately he sees that he's surrounded. Immediately he sets to action, choosing some of the best men, dividing them up from the rest of the men and dividing the command. Uh, Joab's uh, men that he leads here, it's important to remember these guys were... The mighty men. Okay, this is going to become much more important in just a few moments, but I want to point this out because I get together with some of these guys. We're here on Tuesday nights. We have a thing we do with some of our guys, at Bible study called Band of Brothers, and when when one of us that comes is going to preach, we bring that text and open it up to that group, and they help us. One of the things they pointed out was the group that Joab had here was David's mighty men. These guys were very capable fighters, but they were scrappers who had learned to lead an army. They were not from military backgrounds. They were rabble and outcasts that had been given military commands. They were nothing until they came to David and David made them something. That's going to become a lot more important in just a moment. But Joab knew, as I'm sure his men knew, that none of them or their regiments could take this enemy alone. Joab gives some instructions to his brother who had commanded part of his army. Look at verses 10 to 12. Or let's go to 11. The rest of the men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and they were arrayed against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. If the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will help you. Then he says to Abishai, after he gives that instruction, Be strong. He reminded his brother and his men, that they were not in the fight alone with the enemy, a part of the enemy they were facing. And then he says to them, be strong. Some of you here tonight and some of the men, brothers in Christ that you know, need to be reminded that you do not fight alone. You do not fight alone. First, you have an army of brothers surround you and each of you have men in your life that god has placed there we're here tonight under the banner of the brotherhood not all of us gather with this group every time but each of us have brothers have men around you in your churches that god has placed around you and he's placed them there for a reason and they're not to criticize each other and they're not to watch out for each other they're to watch out for each other as you stand together for crying out loud we need to fight together We need to pray together. We need to serve together. We need to stand together. We need to forgive together. We need to repent together. We need to disciple one another together. We need to encourage one another together. We need to rebuke one another together. We need to refuse to abandon or shoot our brothers when they are wounded or they fall. Decide now. Think of the men in your unit who you're going to fight with. Rally the unit. And when you get up tomorrow and start walking the walk of faith again, start fighting together because you don't do it alone. So that when the enemy does come, and he will, you can say, if my enemy over here gets too strong for me, come help me. And if that enemy over there, that thing you're fighting with, gets too strong for you, let me know and I'm going to come help you. Now, be strong. The more important part of these two words is the source of the strength. Because it's easy to hear these stories and begin to swell up and get ready to fight somebody, and you think that you're strong. You're not. The most important of the part of these two words is the source of the strength. You can surround yourself with brothers and still stand alone if you don't have Christ. We don't fight alone only because we have brothers. We must keep present in our minds and our, our hearts that our strength doesn't come from us to begin with. We get no credit for our victories. It, it all goes to Christ. Our strength, our victories, everything comes from our standing in Christ. There's a great example of this in Luke chapter 10. Verse 16, Jesus says, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And then the 72 disciples that he sent out start to come back and they returned with joy saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, but I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of all the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, parentheses inserted by Brother David, because it's not about you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus explains that when we serve Christ, when we follow Christ, we go out in his authority and his power. And some of these disciples came back and reported verification of that authority and that power. And if you follow Christ, you've been given the same authority if you have faith in Christ. Duane said it Sunday morning from 1 Corinthians 6.14, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and empowered these guys is the same power that resides in you. But here's the thing. The fact that we are privy to such power and authority and we have those things is not where our hope lies. It's not where our strength or our authority lies. Our hope is not in our strength. It's in the giver of the strength. It's in the giver of the strength. And if you don't know the giver of the strength, you can fake it all you want, but you have no real strength. Look at verse 20 again in that passage. Don't rejoice in this, that the demons, that the spirits are subject to you, but that you know Christ. That's where your hope and strength comes from. Don't stake your hope in the fact that you have good brothers or are a good person, or that you've licked a certain temptation. Stake your hope in Christ. I can't emphasize that enough. you got to be strong, but you can't do it without Jesus. And His finished work at the cross, and His victory at the empty tomb, and that because of that, you have hope in heaven, and authority and strength. Don't <laughs> boast in your strength, men. Boast in the giver of your strength. That is Christ. Remember, these guys here, these were the mighty men. They were rabble and outcasts. They began to rally around David at the cave of Adullam. They were lowly of station, whom David took and made into soldiers and generals. Same with you. You are nothing until Christ makes you something. And all of these instructions that we give, the ones in Luke, the ones that we see and even in Joab's story, means nothing if we don't have Christ. This is how you are to be strong. Trust faith in, stake your hope in Christ. That's how you are to be strong. He is your everything. He is your life. He is your being. He is your strength. And you trust Christ, the second part of being strong is to do it together. Do it together. Stand together. Brothers, be strong in Christ. Number two, take action. He says in verse 13 there, be strong, let us be strong And let us use our strength. Now, we've already seen the importance of the word our there. We don't fight alone. We walk together. We fight together. Two other things quickly. First, the word use. Use our strength. Very simple point. You need to take action. It can mean a hundred different things. It can mean several different things for each person in the room. Faith always leads to action. Faith not expressed action. Faith this way that's not expressed this way is not faith. It's a belief, it's an idea, it's a principle, but it's not faith. Faith leads to action. It leads to repentance. It leads to changed life and activities. It leads to changes in reputation and relationships. It leads to service. It leads to love. It leads to serving Jesus by serving others. When your faith never leads you to action of some kind, I would say it's probably not faith. Not real faith. Not saving faith. We have here tonight a couple of gentlemen. Some gentlemen from Ohio. you All you guys are from Ohio tonight, right? Yeah, they're from Ohio. These are men that are serving in our area with Baptist disaster relief. These are men who are given their time and some given their retirement to serve Jesus by serving others. They are living their faith. Some of you guys started the third week this week. Third week here serving from Ohio. And men, we thank you, by the way, for your service. They are using their strength for their people and for the cities of their God. We're going to explain that phrase in just a minute. Here's the thing, though. These men will tell you, I believe, as would anyone who serves Christ in this way, that it's not about them and it's not even really about the people that they serve. Ultimately, what they do is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're demonstrating Jesus. They are sharing Jesus. For some of us, even here in this room, it's going into this kind of service. For some of us, it's leading and continuing to fight to lead organizations or churches. For some, it's going into the jails. For some, it's helping with kids or youth. For some, it's benevolence ministries. For some, it's giving. For some, all you can physically do is pray. And then call others on the phone and encourage them through your prayers. Do it! Take action! Use your strength that you have in Christ. You must take action on your faith. It can take a thousand different forms, but there's a fight for everybody that's right here and you need to take action. Your fight might be a particular sin. You need to fight the fight of repentance. Your fight might be prayerlessness. You struggle with prayer. You need to fight the fight of prayer and find ways to help you. Your fight might be apathy. You need to find a place in your church that you can get in and start serving others, serving Jesus by serving others to convert, could combat that, poverty, that, uh, that uh, apathy. Maybe your fight is poverty. There's lots of benevolence ministries in our area to get involved in. You need to fight the fight and step into the battle and start working with one of these ministries. Maybe, maybe your fight is a wayward brother. Someone who's going down a path and making some decisions that you know are sinful and destructive. Your fight is to take them to lunch, to call them on the phone, to go see them in their house, and to lovingly point them back to Jesus. All of these things can be hard things. Be strong in Christ and then use that strength. One other thing about use that strength, secondly and equally important here to point out, is what we use our strength for. He says, be strong and use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God. Simply put, when you're taking action, if it's the, is it the right thing to do? Should I do this? There's two qualifiers. Our good for our people and God's glory for the cities of our God. The cities of God were symbolic of God's relationship and provision for His people in Israel. Uh, they were God's uh, status symbol on earth, if you will, for with Jerusalem being the greatest. When God works in us and through us, it is always with those two things being true. For our good and for His glory. Two verses, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You want to know God's will for your life? It's your sanctification. No matter what else it is, the specifics of decision, it's your sanctification for our good. Second uh, verse I would give is Ephesians 1, uh, verses 11 and 12. In him we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined. I can't remember the middle, but it goes to the end. It says that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Everything he wants to do in and through you is for your sanctification and for his glory. So we have a simple way to evaluate whatever action you're contemplating. Does it move you to being more like Christ? Is it a step toward Christ? Does it point others to Christ? And does it bring glory to God? Now, some decisions do need lots of prayer and consideration, even with this simple filter, because they're not right or wrong decisions. Should I take this job or that job? Should I go to this college or that college? Should I uh, marry this girl or that girl? Some of us are way past that when I get it, but we won't dwell there. These are all important decisions, and we are right to pray and to ask God's will in those situations, and then we make a decision based on our prayers, based on where we are in God's Word, based on godly counsel, and we trust that He will sovereignly guide us through those decisions, but... There are some things that we face, men, some difficult decisions, some hard fights, some hard things to do that don't need any prayer or deliberation. They don't. There's some things you don't need to pray about. Should I be faithful to my wife? Yes. Should I lead my family to serve God? Yes. Should I tithe? Yes. Should I strive to forgive others as Christ forgave me? Yes. Should I repent of my sin and, and take steps that I don't do that anymore? Yes. Yes. There's some things you don't need to think about and you don't need to pray about. Lord, should I repent? Don't ever say that. You should repent. So many of us, even here tonight, maybe, are faced with decisions that don't require a whole lot of deliberation. But all of us are faced with a fight. All of us have the next step to take, the next thing to decide, the next fight to fight. Hard things that require courage and resolve and a strength, again, that you just don't have if you don't have Christ. Remember that strength comes from Christ and it is strengthened when we fight together. You need to be strong and take action. And the last thing is, you need to trust God. Watch what he says here. Now remember, Joab is a well-seasoned soldier. He's a general. He's a leader of men. He's a fighter and a fierce fighter at that. This is one guy I would not want to go toe-to-toe with because he would take me out. Okay? He puts he puts his plan in place. He tells his brothers, "I'm going to help you, you're going to help me." And then he says to Abishai and his men, "Facing this overwhelming enemy, be strong and let us use our strength for the people for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him." Two things quickly here and then we're done. First, when you finally do take and some some of you are probably You're thinking of that action and you've been thinking about it way too long. When you finally step up and decide to man up and take the action that you're faced with, whether it's repenting of sin or asking forgiveness or talking to that friend or stepping out in faith, whatever that may mean, you must keep in mind one very simple truth. All you can do is what you can do. All you can do is what you can do. That's all you're responsible for. You can't make anything happen beyond that. You can't make others forgive you. You can't. You can't... uh, When you repent of a sin, maybe that affected a lot of people directly, you can't ask them to just release the stigma of that. You can't do that. If you have a friend that you need to go share a concern with and and maybe even reproof and rebuke, you can't make them listen to you and come around. Joab made a plan, rallied his men, prepared them for the fight, and then he released whatever would happen to God. He trusted God for the outcome of the battle. All he knew is what he had to do next. And he, didn't, he did not know what the outcome of the battle would be, by the way. You too have to trust God with whatever happens next after you decide to be strong and take action. You have to trust God. Second important here, very quickly, is, is the name of God that's used here. I thought this was interesting. It's L O R D in the English versions. It's all caps. That's the covenant name of God. That's Yahweh. It's signified by the all caps. If you have an English Bible, it's most likely Lord there, most likely, is in all caps. Joab knew what name he was using here. He knew what name he was using. For a Hebrew, that name called to mind all of the things in the past that God had done for his people. That name was an instant history lesson. Okay? The point is, to trust God, we come back full circle. You have to know God. To trust Him, you have to know Him. You must trust Christ for your salvation. You've got to give up trying to fight the fight on your own because you are going to lose. You have to trust Christ for your salvation, get that done, and then trust Him for the strength that we've talked about. More specifically here, because of, what this, because of what we see this is important to a Hebrew, you must know what he's done and what he can do. Remember, Joab, when he called this name, it's an instant history lesson. He called him on all of the things that God has done for you. When you call on the name of God and you're in those situations, remember, you know what, better than this, continually remember what God has done for you. Tell yourself over and over and over and over what he's done for you. What did He do for me? He saved you. He forgave you. He cleansed you. He's continually, over and over, because we all need it, continually sanctifying you and forgiving you. He's given you an inheritance incorruptible in eternity. Tell yourself over and over and over. And for goodness sake, tell others. Tell men younger than yourselves, especially if you have family. Tell them. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Matt Oshel, good friend of mine, he's a band of brothers every Tuesday night. A while back he preached a message and he was talking about this very thing. And he begged the men of this church, Please tell your God story to my children. They don't just need to hear mine, they need to hear yours. And you have young men in your life. One I'm sitting right here on the front row. He needs to hear your God story. Tell your story. Tell it to yourself. Tell it to others. You know why? That way, when it comes time to act, you will instantly know what God can do because you'll be reminded of what He's done. By the way, I say you have to know what He's done and what He can do because you can't know what He will do. That's not your job. Your job is not the outcome of the battle. Your job is to be strong. Be strong in Christ, standing together as brothers. Your job is to take action in Christ, whatever it is, for your good, for our good, and for His glory. And your job is to trust God in Christ for what only Christ can do. Now, we could do a whole other message on how do we do that. Very quickly, a couple of few words came to mind. How do you trust God? How do you exercise that? How do you flex that? Prayer. Repentance, obedience, worship, real, sincere worship, service, fellowship. I don't know where you walk. I don't. I don't know what you are facing. It might be a sin you need to repent of. It might be a relationship you need to try to rectify. It might be a friend you need to go talk to. It might be that God is calling some of you to give up some of your retirement to serve as these men do. I don't know. You know and God knows. There are men around you who will fight with you. Find them. Stand together. Fight together. Trust in Christ. Do the hard thing together. Stand and see what God will do. And may the Lord do what seems good to Him. Let's pray. Father God. I still, even more, it seems now, as I was when I was a boy, I read these stories in Your Word and they just mesmerize me all over again. Stories of of honor and of courage and of uh, bravery and and of battle. But as I'm older now, Lord, I see, first of all, these these stories are not just stories. This is history. Because You are my God, this is my history. This is these men's history. This is not some distant tale in a foreign land that has nothing to do with us. Joab's fight is our fight. To trust God and to take whatever that next step of obedience is. So I pray for these men here tonight as I pray for myself. I pray for my son who's here listening. Lord, help us. First, to know you. To truly know you. To faith in you. And then to be strong in the, in, the, in, the, in the strength that can only come from Christ. To step by step by step take action. And then help us, Lord. We are men. Many of us are fixers. We want to see things get done. We want to see things to resolution. God, I pray that you will help us with what might be the hardest one. That is to trust you with the outcome. To trust you with the results. I pray that for these men some of whom are fathers and grandfathers. All of us, all of us, Lord, are brothers. So whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is, help us to be strong, take that action, and trust you. And for what you will do, we don't know what you will do, but you do, we give you thanks, we give you praise, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the privilege of allowing me to speak. I'll be around here for a little while if you'd like someone to pray with you, but I encourage you, men, find the brothers God has placed around you and stand together. Thank you.